0: This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Well, I am so blessed to be here with you guys today. I tell you, you look good. Every week you get better looking, and I don't know what it is. Uh, Standing here, I can see your faces, and you look really nice. Um, I I tell you what a joy it is for me uh, to stand here and preach the gospel. But as we preach texts like this, there are elements of the gospel that we struggle with hearing. Can you say amen to that? Can you say amen to that? (laughs) And today is one of those, Uh, one of those days where it has every right The Gospel has every right to offend our flesh. And we welcome that. We we welcome that. We welcome the fact that God may say things through His Word that our flesh does not like to hear. And so I just want to kind of give you a pre-warning of that as we dive into Matthew chapter number 13. Chapter 13, and we're going to read two sections of Scripture, verses 24 through 30. So as you're turning in your Bibles there, I want to say something that uh, is dear to our, my heart. I, I, if you have not been able to meet my mom and dad, they are here, right here in the second row. You can give them a hand. They're incredible. My dad's and mom are here in town kind of on uh, a stressful situation. A dear, dear friend uh, of theirs is in the hospital and in ours. And uh, so they came back there in Kuwait, missionaries there. Many of you pray for them and as well as we do. And so you can be praying for them. My dad leaves tomorrow for another trip to the Philippines. And so uh, my dad's just a world travel, a national gangster, and you didn't even realize that. Uh, dad, it's good to see you. I love my mom and dad. Be praying for them and Doug and Bia who are in town. What an incredible, situ- uh, just a, a hard situation. But we know that God's grace is with people in the hardest of situations. So we as the people of God should surround them in these times to pray. And so uh, I just wanted to remind all of you of that. Um, One thing that is one of my favorite things to do, and I, I hate to admit it, and that is social networking. Now, some of you do some kind of social networking, and others of you believe social networking is the devil. And, and either way you look at it, uh, there is good ways to use social networking, and there's bad ways to use social networking. Can we he- hear an amen on that? Okay. So some people use them in righteous ways, and other people use them in unrighteous ways. Now, if you don't know anything about social networking, I will try and kind of translate the lingo for you if I can. But there's one kind of social networking and that's called Instagram. Does anybody know what Instagram is? Okay, three or four of you. The rest of you, this might be our older service. I'm not sure. Uh, but this is, uh, Instagram is, in my opinion, if you will, in my opinion, the best social media outlet. For me, I, I love Instagram, and the reason why I love Instagram is Instagram is pictures. People take pictures, they do some like like, editing where you feel like you're a pro. Isn't it amazing, if you never took pictures before, you start taking them on Instagram and adding filters and all this kind of stuff, and all of a sudden you're like, I should have been a photographer. I'm really good at this. And you start taking pictures, and, you, and then you, at a push of a button, Everybody can see that picture that you just took. And the reason why I love Instagram is because I think pictures are a powerful form of communication. Pictures are a powerful form of communication. Have you ever heard the phrase, a picture is worth what? Everybody's heard that. A picture is worth a thousand words and maybe it's give or take a thousand, but it's it's close. It's, it's a powerful form of communication. I could stand up here and say a thousand words and show one picture, and it would communicate in many ways more than me just standing up here and preaching story and picture and moving pictures. Movies are powerful forms of communication. Now, here's, here's what we see when, when people get this power in their hands this Instagram power in their hands, some of them use it in ways like artistic expression. Have you ever watched somebody on their Instagram feed? If not, you won't relate to this. But they take close-ups of things and put filters on it, and it's like artistic, and every time you look at their Instagram feed, you're like, wow, that person's mind and the way they see things is incredible. Some people use it for family pictures, you know Like I like to keep up with my mom and dad and my brother and sister who's in Dallas, Texas, and I like to keep up with my, my brother and sister who is in Northern California. I like to see pictures of family that I never get to see. And it's great to follow those family pictures. They share photos of friends and families. Some of us share photos of church events and vacations. And then others of us get angry when those people are on vacation. Especially your pastor, which is not right. Then others have a real kind of love for food. And every time they eat something, they take a picture of it. I don't even mind that, to be honest. But there is nothing more that shows depravity to me than the selfie. Now let me explain a little bit of what the selfie is. Now a selfie is where somebody gets the power to take any picture and they think what has the most power is in every picture, my face should be there somewhere. So they grab their photo and they they duck lip it, you know. they grab the photo and in that they try to show their best body parts there is that selfie that's like look at how good looking I am and they they put their backside out and they and they and they stand there and flex their muscles and there's that selfie the one that I never understood is the bathroom selfie have you ever seen the bathroom selfie if you have not seen the bathroom selfie it is the the idea of going there's nobody here to take a picture of me and my body is looking so good and this reach that I have I can't get a good enough picture so I need go stand in the bathroom and put the picture in the mirror and take a picture of myself. And I've never found an attractive background being, I know that person is in the bathroom. I don't even know what they just did, but they felt like they need to take a picture of themselves. The bathroom selfie, the gym selfie. Now listen, I don't know. People are working out and they want the world to know I'm working out. The gym selfie, the ab selfie where they... pull up their shirt and flex their abs. Now, this all could be jealousness of me, but for some reason, I don't mind a good selfie once in a while. Listen, I don't mind a good selfie. There are good selfies once in a while. But the reality is the selfie thing has become the craze. Everybody thinks that here is what needs to be happening. The most powerful form of communication is people seeing me and my face all the time. There's nothing more narcissistic than nonstop selfies. Now, listen, I've taken selfies. I've fallen into the trap of thinking everybody wants to see me right now. I'm not pointing just the finger at you. I know that there's some sort of allure to go, wow, I look so good right now. Everybody needs to see it. I couldn't explain in words. And, matter of fact, I would sound really prideful if I posted on Facebook. I look so good, but if I put a picture up, a picture's worth a thousand. I look so good. And then we get offended if people don't like it, or retweet it, or comment on it. And then we start getting worried that people don't see what we see, and then we defriend people because they say something different or don't do it. And, and you can see. That when ourselves, it becomes less about sharing a picture and it becomes more about lifting ourselves up. Pictures are powerful forms of communication. But here's what you want, I want you to understand. Jesus is doing, if you will, this great form of communication by sharing pictures of the kingdom of God with the people around him. Why? Because he wants people to see what the kingdom is. He wants people to see what the kingdom of God is and how it functions. Because him just saying in words, this is what the kingdom of God is like, he had to explain that to his disciples. But he shared in pictures, in in very beautiful stories, these parables. Some pictures, no matter how badly you want to unsee those pictures, once you've seen them, they're burnt into your mind. And this is one of those pictures. I will say, this story that Jesus tells, some of us will be so offended that we will want to unsee this picture. Once you've seen it, once you've heard it, you can only respond to it. You can't unsee it. You can't unhear it. So my prayer today is just like Jesus says at the end of His parables, those who have ears, let them hear. Let those who have eyes, let them see what God is speaking. As we read these verses, these words from Jesus, let us not turn our eyes, let us not turn our ears, let us open them wide, let us open our eyes widely to see and to hear what God is speaking to the church. And as we do that and we read God's word, we like to stand in respect to his word. So let's stand together, Matthew 13, we're going to read two sections that both Tell the story, and then the other one illustrates it. Matthew 13, verse 24. And remember, as we read these scriptures together, as we read them, as you follow along, make sure you remember this is God's word. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while these men, while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants, whom the master of the house, came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then, did, how then did, does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? And he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Now let's look at verse 36. Then he left the crowds went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the fields. He answered and said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the, son of the, ki- the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire so will it be in the end of the age so the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out the kingdom they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into a fiery furnace in a place Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father who has ears to hear. Let him hear, God. Let those words ring true in our hearts. Give us ears to hear, God. Let these words fall on good soil. As we talked about last week, God, let them fall on good soil. Soften our hearts. Give us ears to hear. And God, let this truth, let these truths ring so deep in our hearts that it changes us, transforms us. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to kind of run through a little bit of scriptural realities. These are obvious scriptural realities, and some of us like to um, kind of walk through this uh, and, and, and kind of go through what we believe. And it's important for us to do that so I'm going to do a couple things I'm going to make some points from these parables of the story that Jesus just told and then I'm going to read some of our doctrinal statement I'm going to put it up on the screen and as I'm reading those doctrinal statements I'm doing this on purpose because there's a couple things I want you to understand and one is this we have really strong beliefs on things as Redemption Church I'm Some of of that I I think you know some of the things we believe and others of those things you may not have heard or read and I think it's important for you to know what does this church believe and what do we believe. Those beliefs, a lot of them are on our website. You can check them out in our beliefs section, but I think it's important for us to dive into that and see where we start to gather these beliefs. The first is this. God is king. And he has a kingdom. God is king and he has a kingdom. And it's important for us to see that in these texts. Jesus is trying to give a picture of the kingdom. What he is really declaring is God is the king. I have a kingdom. I am king and I have this kingdom. And he is the coming. This king is coming. And we see that in Jesus. He announces his coming and We see that God is king and He has a kingdom. Why is this important for us to understand? Because there are other kingdoms who are against this very good and right and perfect kingdom. And all of those kingdoms declare that they are king and they have a kingdom. So God is king. He has a kingdom. I'm going to read you a statement from our belief statements, and and this may seem long of something we read, but I think it's important for us to see. If you can't read it there on the screen, it is on our website, but I'll read it for you. This is from our doctrinal statement, the kingdom of God. We believe that those who have been saved by grace, the grace of God through union with Christ by faith and through regeneration by the Holy Spirit, enter the kingdom of God and delight in the blessings of new covenant the forgiveness of sins the inward transformation that awakens a desire to glorify trust and obey god and the prospect the glory yet to be revealed god works constitute indispensable evidences of saving grace living as salt in the world that is decaying and light in the world that is dark believers should neither withdraw into seclusion from the world nor become indistinguishable from it rather we are to do good to the city for all the glory and honor of the nations is to be offered up to the living God recognizing those recognizing who created whose created order this is and because we are citizens of God's kingdom we are to love our neighbors as ourselves doing good to all especially to those who belong to the household of God the kingdom of God already present not fully realized is the exercise of God's sovereignty in a world toward the eventual redemption of all creation. The kingdom of God is an invasible power that plunders Satan's dark kingdom and regenerates and and renovates through repentance and faith the lives of individuals rescued from that kingdom. It therefore inevitably establishes a new community of human life together under God. Now what we see in that is that there is a kingdom. And what we also see in that statement and also see in this story is that there is an evil one, and that evil one has children. Now that's hard for us to swallow. There's an evil one, and there is a family in that. And that evil one is trying to destroy, trying to come against, trying to tear down the kingdom of God of God. And that evil one also, according to what Jesus says, has sons, has children. Now, because there is a God who created this good kingdom and this king is the king over the kingdom and there is this enemy, this evil one who is trying to destroy that kingdom and that kingdom of Satan and that kingdom of the world is opposing the kingdom of God. We also believe number 3, There is a final judgment. We also see that in the parable that Jesus spoke of. There is a final judgment. Now, this is where doctrines like this can get extremely overlooked and maybe overlooked because we don't want to face them or overlooked because we think it's overly preached. You know, that hellfire and brimstone kind of talk. The preacher who stands on the corner and and just yells it out nonstop as if that is by itself the good news. But we do believe that there is a final judgment, and you would be hard pressed to truly read and dive into Scripture and believe the truths of Scripture and not see that there is a final judgment. Let me read from our doctrinal statement once again on the final judgment, what we believe about final judgment. Here, let me read this to you. We believe in the personal, glorious, and bodily return of our lord jesus christ with his holy angels when he will exercise his role as final judge mm. and his kingdom will be consummated we believe in the bodily resurrection of both the just and the unjust the unjust to judgment and the eternal conscious punishment in hell as our lord himself taught that the just to eternal blessedness in the presence of Him who sits on the throne and of the Lamb in the new heaven and the new earth, the home of the righteous. On that day, the church will be presented faultless before God by the obedience, suffering, and triumph of Christ. All sin purged and its wretched effects forever banished. God will be all in all and His people will be enthralled by the immediacy Of His ineffable holiness. And everything will be to the praise of His glorious grace. What we see in that final judgment day is two things. One, a destruction of sin and evil. And all sin being banished from this earth. What else we see is God revealing the children of God. Revealing the sons of God, and them living under His rule and reign on this new heaven and new earth. And for some of you, this may sound new, but others who went through our Romans teaching, which we're almost finished, and we're taking a little break, and we'll be back to it, but Romans 8 and 9 speaks of this. So this is kind of a story form, if you will, of Romans 8 and 9, where it talks about this very thing. Now, what else we see and I, I want to go back to. I'll go back to this slide for a minute. And I didn't put this as the bottom one, and this is what I want us to write down. I want us to understand, is that God is the judge, and that is the good news. The good news is that God is the judge. When the things of life. That are important to us, and all the things that we see are around us. What we have to understand is we don't have to judge. We don't have to worry about whether or not I am judging and making the determination on whether you are a son of God or where you, whether you are not. I don't have to figure that out, whether or not, and, and I don't even have to judge myself. Paul says that I don't even judge myself. Why? Because I am not the one who determines my own salvation. It is God who determines. It is God who is the judge. It is God who sifts through the wheat and the tares. And why is that good news? Because if we believe that God is good and perfect and right and loving, and there is no sin in Him, if we believe that He is holy and pure and just, if we believe that every good and perfect work comes from Him and no one else, who else would we want to be judged? If we believe He is gracious and kind and loving and that His judgment is based upon His character, and not our character, then that is good news. The proclamation of good news in this is that nobody else is judge. The offensive part is, you're not the judge. I love that God in these texts uses agricultural language to show the story of the whole world. I love that. And the reason why I love that is because if we look in Genesis chapter, one, uh, chapter 3, we see that, G- that God, because of sin, cursed the ground. You remember that? The ground was cursed because of sin. And what we see here is Jesus showing that many of us believe that what God is going to do on the day of final judgment is destroy the whole world and pull all Christians out and say, bye-bye, suckers, we're out of here. Taking all the Christians away and destroying the whole world. But what we see as the narrative of Scripture is that God loves the world. And He is not going to forsake His world, that He has a plan of redemption for the whole world. And that although the ground is cursed, because of sin, I love that he uses agricultural language because he's showing us that because of Jesus, he is going to use the ground in which is cursed because of sin to bring about all of redemption. To establish his kingdom through the ground that has been cursed. What I love about this story is, it's the story of the whole world. This is the story of God. If you think about it, God is good. And all things he does is good. And this God who is good and loving and perfect created all things out of the goodness of who he was. And this God created all things to live under his rule and reign. And this God had this kingdom that was perfect. It was called Shalom. And this God gave rule and dominion to his people who were created in his image and likeness. You remember how the serpent comes? And this story says while they were sleeping the serpent came and stored And and sowed seeds, right? That this evil one came and sowed seeds. This shows of while it was under the look, the watch, they were sleeping. Satan comes in and causes this great rebellion. And this great rebellion is this. I don't want your kingdom. I don't want your reign. I don't want to live under your rule and reign. I want to be God. I want to determine what is good and evil. And this great rebellion happens as the children of Satan rise up and say, we're going to overthrow good and right and perfect king. We're going to destroy his kingdom. and We're going to establish our own. This rebelling against God, this root of sin. But God, instead of destroying it, and you remember, He had plenty of opportunity to just outright destroy the whole world. God, instead of destroying it, shows that He is patient and decides to what? Show grace and mercy instead of outright destruction. Instead of destroying the whole world, He says, I'm going to let evil and righteousness grow up together in the same world. Why? Why? Because if I start to destroy the weeds that are in this world, I'm going to have to destroy the tares also. I'm going to have to destroy, if I have to destroy the weeds that are in the world, I have to start destroying the wheat also. His concern was not for the weeds when he made the decision to let good and evil grow up together. His concern was for his people who he wanted to redeem and restore. Because here's what we understand. When we start calling out for judgment on this world, what we have to be careful of is we deserve that judgment. And in order for God's judgment to be poured out on all the world, we would have to be destroyed because of His patience and kindness and love, God, by His grace, has let good and evil in this time grow together. Why? Because part of His plan of redemption is that in the end, He will sift. He will establish His kingdom. And part of that day of judgment is that this good, right, and perfect God comes into His world in which He created and He reveals who the sons of God are. As He reveals who the sons of God are, there's great rejoicing and the sons of God are being revealed and earth is groaning and they are celebrating because the sons of God are being revealed and at that same time, He eradicates every cause of sin. Did you hear that in the parable? He takes away every cause of sin. He doesn't just take away the behavior of sin. He takes away the very cause of sin. And then He also takes away the cause and He takes away every lawbreaker. He destroys death and sin. The conquering King comes in and establishes His kingdom. And in order to do that, He has to, in His goodness, show love and grace, but He also has to show judgment and wrath to destroy sin. This is the part that we respond to. Not that we haven't heard this story, but we respond in different ways. Here's those four ways. Can somebody tell me what time it is? I'm sorry, I I left my clock. What time is it? 10.03. Okay, I got a few minutes. Let's go through these four points and just... A couple of minutes. One is this. The first way we respond to parables like this, and and you're going to see a little bit of last week's message in these four responses, right? Because Jesus also says when people hear about the kingdom of God, they respond with certain soils in their heart. Here's one way we respond to a message like this. We reject it by saying this. There's no God, and he doesn't have a kingdom. It's an easy answer to a glorious message of proclamation I don't believe that I don't believe there's a God and in doing so here's what you've done I'm God I establish my own law and rule and I'm coming head-to-head with this so-called God who thinks he's real I'm real he's not what I say is true what he says is not and in rejection you put yourself in a stance against the very good news Many of you in here will say, well, that's not me. I don't reject that. Some of you would say, that is me. What are you going to do about it? Nothing. Pray. That God will soften your heart and open your ears to the good news of this final judgment. The second thing is this. Some of us, what I will call, rewrite the script. (laughs) We don't like the story with hell in it. We don't like the idea of judgment. And we don't like that the God who says He's loving judges. We don't like the idea that, uh, that this God who is good and loving and perfect also has anger and wrath. We can't stomach a God like that. How can a God who's loving have wrath and anger? We can't see how hell and judgment and sifting is good news so what we do, instead of diving into this and believing this is good news, what we do is rewrite the script. Oh, he didn't really mean that. Do you realize in order to to not believe in judgment and hell, in order to not believe in this sifting that God will do, in order to not believe that God is the judge, you have to completely rewrite the script that has been written by Him. Once again, putting yourself in a position of God. The other thing that we do, and we see this in the parable, is this. We recast. And I'm kind of using terms from plays if you understand that we believe that this narrative is the story of all life and we're supposed to be a part of this narrative, living out as the cast of God's great story what it is to live in His kingdom. And what we do, if we don't like the, the story or we don't like the roles that are there, we recast. And in our recasting, isn't it interesting that we always like to make ourselves the star? Isn't it interesting when you're the, you're the understudy of the main actor, <laughs> how you're kind of hoping the main actor gets sick so you can rise to power? Stand in the spotlight? Notice what the, what the servants say to the master. What they say is, do you want us to go into the field and weed out all of the evil? They're trying to go in and figure out who's evil and who's not evil. And here is the worry of the master. If you become judge, you will look at some things that are weeds and you will leave them because they are beautiful. And you will look at some things that are wheat and you will pluck them because they're ugly to you. You will destroy the wheat here's the truth. We have a tendency in our walks with Christ to believe, yes, there is a final judge. He's poured out grace upon me. And He's given me this gift to look out at people and say, that person's a Christian this person is not. And so we begin to become the judge of other people's souls, and we live what's called separatist lives. We believe that our responsibility is not to live amongst and grow amongst people, but to pull out from the world and look upon the evil and say, those are the evil people, and these are the good people. And what we end up doing is destroying the wheat. Listen, this Scripture not only speaks to a final judgment, but it also speaks that if you believe in a final judgment, you should not live a separatist life. You should not live a holier-than-thou kind of life. You should not live in a way that starts to go through people's lives and judge them. But that you should live amongst this world. You should live in this world. You should live as a... Shining example of what it looks like to be wheat that grows in this world. Listen. It's not your job to cut down the weeds. It's not your job. And many of us feel like it is. Instead of just growing up amongst them and being in this world and living amongst What we do is begin to believe it's our job to cut down evil. What that shows when we start living that kind of life is that we do believe there is a final judgment and that God has sent us to carry out that final judgment. What we've done is told the main, sovereign, holy, righteous God, the star of the show, your judgment is not right. Let me do it. And what here, here's what you have to understand, is that you will always destroy the wheat. and God is going to protect his wheat. And in, in order to do so, he's going to say, let them grow together because I'm going to do the final work. So what should we do in light of this? Well, there's a couple of ways we can do this, but I'm going to use this word. What we should do if we believe this is we should rehearse this. Josh, give me when I have five minutes because I'm way lost on time here. We should rehearse this. That means we should live in light of what we know. Live in light of what we know. And and I want you to look at Romans 12, and we're going to study this in the future, but if you could turn there, I'll read this for you. We should live in light of what we know. Here's how... We should live in light if we believe there is a final judgment. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible as far as it depends on you live peaceably with all. Beloved never avenge yourself but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord to the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him something to drink for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head do not overcome evil with evil but with good do you notice this here's what you need to notice When you believe that God is going to do the work of final judgment and this God who is loving and right and perfect is going to come in wrath and he is going to come with vengeance and he is going to destroy evil and every cause of evil when you believe that and you know that you're deserving of that wrath and judgment but what you've deserved is grace you live your life in trust that this good and perfect and holy God is going to carry out the work of his life of of what only he can do and you live a life that reflects that you don't repay evil with evil you live patiently you feed those who are evil you take care of those who, who are persecuting you how can a Christian live in that light well a Christian cannot live in that light when he believes there's no final judgment because a lot of people in suburban culture begin to believe that this God is loving and he would never bring about judgment but hear me on this that kind of gospel when we say there is not a God who is angry and will carry about his vengeance and judgment and eradicate sin when we say that then those who have been persecuted and hurt and abandoned begin to believe well if God's not going to carry about justice I'll take it into my own hands When we don't believe there's a God who carries out justice, we don't believe He's worthy of our worship because He's not. Because you can't be loving without being just. You can't be loving without having an anger that is against sin and evil. Let me read you this and then we're going to stop and pray and take communion. Here's a a quote from an book or or article called Exclusion and Embrace. Here's what he said. In light of this idea that people say God cannot judge, He's not angry, He doesn't do these kinds of things, here's what he said. One could further argue that in a world of violence, it would not be worthy of God to not wield the sword. If God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end to violence... God would not be worthy of our worship. Here, however, I am less interested in arguing that God's violence is not unworthy of God God, than in showing that it is beneficial to us. Atlan has rightly drawn our attention to the fact that in a world of violence, we are faced with an inescapable alternative, either God's violence or human's violence. Most people... Who insist on God's nonviolence cannot resist using violence themselves. They deem the talk of God's judgment irreverent, but think nothing of entrusting judgment to human hands. Persuaded, persuaded, presumably, that this is less dangerous and more humane than to believe in a God who judges so violence thrives secretly nourished by be- the, the belief in a god who revu- refuses to judge the world my thesis is that the patience of nonviolence requires a belief that vengeance is god's you hear that as the band comes i want to read this last quote to a person who is inclined to dismiss, dismiss the suggestion that God does not judge. Imagine delivering a lecture in a war zone, which is where a, which in that paper you would see that uh, delivering a message, and that among the listeners of the people that you're delivering this message to are people whose cities and villages have been plundered and burned and leveled by grounds. Their daughters and sisters have been raped, whose fathers and brothers have had their throats slit. And in that lecture, what you tell them is here's a Christian attitude towards violence. God is not going to bring about justice. God is love and will not deal with violence. And so you shouldn't. Soon you would discover this. That that's a suburban Comfortable understanding of God that only works in a Western society. Because the reality is, if God will not judge, they will take it in their own hands to do the judging. But a people who believe in a God who will judge can trust him and face violence with nonviolence. Here's the big idea. God is the judge. And that's good news. As we gather around this table, here's what we're doing. We're partaking of the body and blood of Jesus. Why? Because we know, without God's grace, we're the weeds. Without God's grace, we deserve that judgment. But because... Of this judge who not only is a good and right and perfect judge, but he is the one who paid the price for our sins. By trusting in Jesus, by putting our faith and trust in him and surrendering our life to him, not just for forgiveness, but to live in his kingdom rather than our own, we get to enter the kingdom of God and not stay in the kingdom of this world. So we celebrate this. We celebrate that this is body and blood. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate this is body and blood. Why do we celebrate? Because the violence we deserve was taken out on Jesus. The violence that should have came on me has been poured out upon Jesus. Oh, wrath has been taken out upon sin for those of us who know that we are sinners. Wrath has been taken out upon us. But Jesus paid the price and took the anger and the wrath of God upon himself so that those who fall under his lordship and under his rule and reign can live free. While we partake, while Wayne comes and leads us in this time, could our minds be set on this? Not Am I a wheat or am I a tear? But our minds be set on this. The God who is judge over all also has paid the price. Do I trust in him and do I want to live in his kingdom? God, your rule and reign is what we want. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Reveal to us the good news that You are the judge. Reveal to us the good news that You are gracious and good. Reveal to us today, if there are those in this room who do not know You and are far from You, who are living under their own rule and reign, God, reveal that to us today. Show us. Show us what's it like to live in light of. You are going to restore all things. God, let our hearts be searched. Know us. And as we gather around these tables, let us rejoice in your grace. In Jesus' name.